Hey, RCC family, welcome to RCC at Home. Yeah, we are back. So glad to be back. Me huh? too. Did you guys enjoy the announcements last week? I hope so. Uh, today, we are, are we wrapping it up? The new se the series? The, yeah. Is I'm it the honestly end? not sure. I don't know either. Is it the end? You get it? <laughs> uh, well, before we dive in to the sermon, which is a great one, uh, we have just a couple announcements for you. First off, if you're new here, have been checking us out. We would love to get to know you. We have such a big online community, and we know that we don't get to see you here in person, but the way that we can get to know who you are and you can get connected here is for you to fill out a red card. There will be a link in the description box below. Just send us a message and say hello. Yeah, and another great way to get connected, to be known, to be seen, is to join a community group. Even if you are watching RCC at home online and you've been online since uh, we started doing this you can still join a community group it's a small group of people that get together at each other's houses and go through content together and it's gonna be phenomenal so if you want to sign up for that there's also a link in the description box below. And women, this Monday night, the women's study that's happening here at RCC, being led by Teresa Hacker, is starting at 7 p.m. You are welcome to come out for that as well. I think that's about all that we have for you guys, so enjoy the service. That'll bring us to the two-minute warnings. everyone, welcome to RCC at Home. My name is Erica and I am one of the pastors here. Now, these last few weeks we have been in a series that we are calling Two Minute Warning. What we're doing is we're taking a look at some important things that Jesus said so we can get some things straight before we're dead. Okay, bad joke. Maybe you didn't really know I was that much of a poet, but I know it's a little lame and not very funny to start out with, but unfortunately for you, this is the only comical thing in this whole sermon today. Each time that I know that I'm going to speak, I, I go to God and I ask him, what do your people need to hear from you? And almost every single time, it's not really what you need to hear, but what I need to hear. For me, the idea of starting a pastoral counseling business started because as the pastor of care here at RCC, I realized that I just simply can't help people the way I would like to. The amount of people in need and the time being on staff here doesn't allow for the continual meetings and for the follow-through necessary to help people in their darkest times. And as I'm starting to meet with people on a more regular basis, it continues to slap me in the face just how much so many of you are suffering. We have really no idea the things that people have walked and are walking through. So this is what we're going to be looking at today. It's one of the most asked questions about God. How can a good God allow so much suffering? Now, I would guess that many of you have asked this question before, and you probably have struggled to find the answer. Here's the thing. I can't stand here today and tell you that I have the answer because I don't. I don't know. I don't have the mind of God or the vision of God, but I do have the Bible and I have Jesus. We 
have Jesus. We can look at him and we can look at the word of God and all we can do is try to understand. That's what I want to do together today because there's just so many people suffering and I need to find some answers. So together, let's try to understand. You know, if you've lived life for any amount of time, you know that living involves pain and it involves suffering. And if you're listening here today and you haven't experienced it yet, you will. You will. Jesus tells us this. He makes it very clear in John chapter 16. This is what he says. He says, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Okay. And if you're walking through some, something really hard right now, you may be listening here and thinking, I don't know how to do this. I want to curl up in a ball of sadness and grief and I want to stay here forever. Because thoughts of overcoming what I'm going through in any capacity seems impossible. Now, I'm not sure the, what the reason is that God continues to allow suffering, but I know for sure what the reason isn't. God doesn't allow suffering because he doesn't care or he doesn't love us. If this was the case, he surely wouldn't have come here and gotten involved. We know this to be true. The second half of this verse in John 16 says, Take heart because I have overcome the world. But as humans, we want answers. We want to know what to do. We want to know how to do it. We like neat and tidy lists. We like to be comfortable. We want to be happy and feel good. Let's face it. We want nothing more than to have an easy life, don't we? But if Jesus is right, and I believe he is, then we know, and he tells us, that you will have many trials and sorrows. Suffering is inevitable. inevitable. But there has to be a better way. There has to be a way to ready ourselves, to equip ourselves to deal with it when it comes. There has to be a way to look at the word of God and use it to prepare us. I have been honored and humbled to have had the opportunity to walk with many people through periods of suffering. And many of you know that suffering gets you into a club that you never wanted to be a part of in the first place. Suffering will also carry you into spaces that you never had access to before. For me, I have stood beside the grave of parents who were there to bury their baby. I have held my friend who lost her 35-year-old husband to cancer, leaving her with three little kids. I've sat with a family who had a child who had taken their life. And I've been in many rooms with dying and loved ones praying for a miracle. And like most of you, I've been through my own periods of suffering. And one particular time I was at a very low point in my life, I had taken a Bible from the hotel room drawer and I brought it with me to the hospital as I was waiting for someone that I love to get done with some surgery. And I opened my Bible to the book of Psalms like I so often do when I don't know where else to turn. You know, the book of Psalms in the Bible, it, it's a book of prayers. It, it's a book that we can use to worship God, to praise him, and we can also use as a confession to him too. And many of the Psalms, you know, they speak a lot about suffering, but almost all of them end with hope. They end with praise and they end with some kind of a victory. However, on this particular day, I opened my Bible and I turned to Psalm 88. This particular Psalm, it doesn't end with hope. In the entire thing, the writer, a man named Haman, is lost, he is broken, 
and he is suffering. In fact, this psalm has actually been called an embarrassment to conventional faith. Let's take a look at some of the verses from it. It starts out and says, O God, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day and I come to you at night. Hear my prayer, listen to my cry, for my life is full of troubles and death draws near. I am forgotten, I am cut off from your care. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. I lift my hands to you for mercy. O Lord, I cry out to you, I will keep pleading with you day by day. Why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me? Darkness is my closest friend. Now, I can't help but ask the question, why? Why in this moment did God lead me to be reading this? It certainly didn't help me feel better at all. And the other question is, why would God even want this in the Bible? Why would he want to identify himself with someone who prays like this, someone who seemingly doesn't even get an answer? Now, years later, I had gotten my first life application Bible, and it's in this Bible that it tells you the theme of each psalm or the purpose. And here's what it says in this. It says, when there is no relief in sight, God understands even your deepest misery. That's why God had me read it that day. Oh, how I wish that hotel Bible had the theme in there. This psalm is included in the Bible so that we can know that God understands. He knows how we speak when we're desperate. It's a very real thing that as believers, we're going to suffer. And sometimes we might suffer for a long period of time and we may not feel like God is here. But what matters for us What matters for this author is he is saying these things to God. He's not turning away. He may be angry and frustrated and hopeless, but he continues to pray and he continues to cry out to him. It's in the Bible. And and that means that God does identify with us who are desperate. He's saying, I am the God of this man, even though he isn't getting it right, because I am a God of grace. He is saying to us, I am your God, not because you put on a happy face and you come to church and worship me, but I am your God, not because you say everything right or do everything right. I am your God because I am a God of grace. You know, so many people have said to me, these things just don't make sense. Bad things shouldn't be happening to me. I'm a Christian. I'm a good person. I'm praying. I'm I'm loving people. I've cleaned up my life. Why is this happening? But what do we expect God to do? What do we really expect for him to do? To reach down and save us? For him to take away our pain? He didn't do it for Jesus. Expectations, what you expect God to do, plays a really big part in how you handle suffering. And our expectations can actually make our suffering worse. Again, we can look at the Bible and we can see Jesus, someone who led a much better life than all of us. He had a great life. He had a faithful life. He trusted his father, but he also had some really terrible things happen to him too. He was rejected. He was tortured. He suffered right up until his death. And God didn't take his suffering away, did he? Jesus is proof to us that having faith is not a get-out-of-pain-free card. So, Let's look at this. Let's look at Jesus and and align our expectations with the reality. And when we do, maybe our troubles will be a bit easier to face when they come. Usually, without growth being forced on you, very few people willingly go on a deep spiritual journey. 
I mean, why would we? It's when the rug has been pulled out from beneath your feet and you are forced to redefine what balance really is. That's where your faith has a space to deepen and grow. It has a space to grow in places you never knew were possible. For me, this is 100% true. I have learned 10 times more about the grace of God, the mercy of God in my darkest times than I ever did when things were going well. There's a story in the Bible, in the book of Matthew, where Jesus heals a blind man. And after doing it, his disciples ask him the question, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? And this is Jesus' reply. He says, neither this man or his parents sinned. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Is this our why? So the work of God might be displayed in our life? What life has taught me is that in order to have deep personal faith and deep personal transformation, we have to come to peace with pain. I have never known one person who has had tremendous growth or transformation without being uncomfortable. Change involves challenging what is familiar to us and daring us to question our needs for safety, our needs to be comfortable, and our needs to be in control. This reminds me of the book of Job. Here in the Bible, Satan comes to God and he says this. God says this to Satan. Have you seen my servant Job? There is no one like him. He's blameless. He loves me. He trusts me. So Satan says to God, well, Job has good reason to love and trust you. You've always protected him. You've blessed him. You've made him prosper. Satan is questioning whether Job really serves God for nothing. Satan is saying to God, Job is following you. He's trusting you. He's worshiping you. Because look what you're doing in his life. Look how blessed he is. Job isn't really loving you for you. Satan is saying that Job is doing all of this because God is blessing him. Are we serving God for God or are we serving God for ourselves? This is the question Satan here is asking God. And this is also a question that we need to ask ourselves too. Satan, he wants to prove it. So he says to God, reach out and take away everything he has and he will surely curse you. Give him inner, inner darkness and outer darkness and you will see. I want you to think about this for a second. I mean... I think probably at one time or another, we've all used God. Do we really love God for himself? Or do we really love God for what we can do, what he can do for us? This is a really tough question to ponder. And when I ponder it, it hits me hard. For many of us, our relationship with God, it does start out as a transactional one. What I mean by this is, when you're at a low point in your life or when you are really needing him, you ask him to help you. You want something and your hope is he's going to give you what you want. And to some degree, I think we have all come to God, especially in the beginning, because we want something. We have a need and that's not a bad thing. In fact, it's an amazing thing. But these expectations, could they possibly be the reason that we feel knocked down so much of the time? Why isn't God doing this? Why isn't he listening? Why isn't he healing or helping? Why me? So often we, we think that God should just take our suffering away. But the truth is, is if we stay in that state, we're going to be up and down forever. 
and we are never going to find the peace that God came here to give us. Let's look back at Job. Job, he says all kinds of terrible things to God. He's angry, he's complaining, and after he says them, God says, Job has honored me. Why would God say that? You know why? Just like Haman in Psalm 88, Job, he continued to pray. Both these men, they continued to talk to God. They stayed with God. They didn't walk away when they were getting nothing out of the relationship. And because of this, in the end, Satan was defeated. When you go through darkness and you don't feel like God is there, but you hold on anyway, this is what the Bible is teaching us. This is what Jesus teaches us. You say, God, you are God, and I am not, and I am going to trust you with this. I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship. I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm going to do the things I need to do to honor you as my God, even if I'm getting nothing in return. And this, this will turn you into a faithful person of endurance, a person who can overcome like Jesus, a person of stability, of strength, of greatness for God. You're no longer going to be knocked down because your expectations of God weren't met. It's almost as if when bad things happen, God looks at us and he says, Have you become a Christian for me to serve you? Or have you become a Christian in order that you could serve me? Hmm. Have you become a Christian so God can serve you? Or have you become a Christian so he could serve so you could serve him. This Psalm 88, it ends with Haman saying, darkness is my closest friend. He believed that his darkness was permanent. We know he was wrong. We know that his darkness was temporary. And how do we know this? Well, this psalmist, his name was Haman. First Chronicles 6 tells us a little bit about him. It says that he was a leader. He was also a musician. Now the Psalms, they are some of the greatest works of literary art in the history of the world. Everyone understands this, even if you're not a Christian. This means that this man has written some of the best literacy in the world. Do you think in the midst of it all, he thought that thousands of years later, several hundred people would be sitting in a room talking and learning about his great words? He didn't see it. He couldn't see it, but we can. God was turning him into something great that people would be learning from for centuries. What does this tell us? It tells us that you can know this too. If God is your savior, he is there even if you don't feel him. He has not and he will not abandon you. How do you know that? Here's how you can know that. In this Psalm, Haman says, God turned his face away and it ends with darkness. Losing God's face and darkness. Does this sound familiar to you? In Matthew chapter 27, verse 45, it says this. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus was the only one. The only one who experienced the darkest of dark and who wondered in that moment why God would allow his suffering. Doesn't Jesus' question to God sound a lot like the question we began with today? 
God, why are you allowing me to suffer so much? Satan is right. You know, we are selfish. We are self-centered. We use other people. And sometimes we use God. And the truth of that is, we deserve the darkness. But Jesus, Jesus, he took that darkness so that when you and I are in it, we can know that we're not alone. We can know that he's there. Because he is the only one who's truly been abandoned. And he was abandoned so that when we feel like we are, we can know that God is still there. God won't abandon you. He won't do it. No matter what you've done or you will ever do. Because Jesus took our penalty. Because we know now that the suffering of one has the power to heal thousands, just like our Savior exemplified. If you're a believer, darkness is going to happen, and when it does, know that you will not be lost. There is answers, there is purpose, and you will eventually get them. God can do no more for you than he can do through you. Listen to this verse from Revelation 21.4. It says, He will wipe every tear. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For now, all we can do is cling to each other. And we can trust that Jesus is right and that our pain will not define us. 2 Corinthians 12.10 says, It is when I am weak that I am strong. Many of you here listening today, you know this verse to be true. And many people, we won't know the message of this verse until we're through whatever it is that we're going through. You may not even imagine it to be true until you've gone into the pits of hell and you've come out on the other side, stronger, more faithful, and thankful for your suffering. Because suffering well, I really believe that it's a secret of the soul. This secret, it can't be known by thinking about it or trying to prove that it's true. But it can only be known by risking it, at least once. And allowing yourself to be led by a Savior who has been where you are and also has been where you're headed. Those of us who know, we only know this because we've gone through it. My pain, your pain, Jesus' pain. It must serve a greater purpose. It must. So think of this. Because of your suffering or mine, maybe others have been blessed by your endurance. Maybe because of our suffering, someone is praying again or someone is being gentler to themselves. Maybe because of your suffering, someone has forgiven someone else. They're slowing down or hugging more. Someone has said, I'm sorry, or they've been generous or vulnerable with their heart. Maybe because of what you've gone through. Maybe your example of faith in the midst of your suffering. Maybe because of that, someone feels less alone. Maybe, just maybe, someone believes again. Because we know that the suffering of one has the power to heal thousands. Jesus overcame and he teaches us how to do it too. There is something we need to get right. This is something we need to get right, whether we're in the end times or not. My prayer for this message is not that you leave here thinking, this really stinks. Suffering stinks. Life, it stinks. Suffering's coming. There's nothing I can do about it. No. My prayer for this message is for you to understand and realize that your faith in God can and will help you overcome anything that life throws in your way. Haman, Job, Jesus, they didn't just say it stinks. 
but they have shown us how to overcome. They have shown us that there is for sure purpose in our suffering. And they have shown us that God does allow us to suffer. And I don't like it. You don't like it. They didn't like it either. But you will overcome now and into eternity. Hold on to this promise, even in your darkest moments. And I want to leave you with the words of Jesus. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Would you pray with me? God, I pray for that every person listening to this message today who is walking through some of the hardest things, Lord, I pray that they can feel you and they can know you and that you can give them the strength of knowing that you are walking beside them every step of their journey. It's because of you, because of your son, that we can overcome anything that life puts in our path. Help us to see it, God. Help us to know it and help us to live it so that we can be examples of what it looks like to endure. Yet through everything that we go to, go through, that our faith will shine through and that others will learn from us how to, lo- how to love and how to be light in this world even when there is darkness all around us. We love you, God, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Corinthians 9.6 says that God loves a cheerful giver. It goes on to say that when you are generous with others, he will be generous with you. When we look at all that God has given us like it's, like it's a gift, it, it changes the way we see what we have. It can actually then be a joy to give it back to him because we're grateful for what he's given to us. You also need to know that when you're generous with your finances here at RCC, you're not only honoring God, but you're also helping to support the mission and ministries of RCC. The easiest way for you to give would be to simply visit rccsunday.com. From from there, you can set up a reoccurring gift. It can be weekly or monthly. It can be through your bank account or a debit card or a credit card. Also, feel free to drop off a check at our downtown location at 155 State Street. There's a mail slot in the front entrance and you can drop it off right there. Keep up the awesome work and remember to be the church this week.